You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. A year ago, if you think about it, we were in the middle of a tornado of introspection, is kind of what I've called it. You know what I'm talking about? Because we had endured that first wave of the COVID craziness that was going all around us, and we had gained this feeling of, of new priorities that we, hadn't, that we hadn't felt before. Like, we seemed to have come face-to-face with things like the value of family and the importance of our health and how fragile this life really is. And and in some cases, even a deeper connection with God. Like all of that was happening about a year ago. And it was this jolt to our comfortable lives that we were living. And it seemed to be like, make us reevaluate everything that we were doing. And, and you would think that when a global pandemic hits and it causes a seismic cultural and, and personal earthquake to shake us to the very core of who we are, that that might create some lasting change in our life. But did it? Did it really? Or or was it enough? Is that enough? Was it enough? Well, well maybe I can answer some of that as we look at some other things that you might not be aware of in culture. Uh, Did you know that the relapse rate for someone that's struggling with drugs and alcohol is 40 to 60% that they're going to relapse? But another interesting statistic that I found out is that people that have overdoses that have near-death experiences from their drug or alcohol use have the exact same relapse rate. In fact, it might even be a little bit higher. 80% 80% of people that lose 10% of their body weight will, will gain that weight back and then some. And a study found that almost 70% of Americans that, that smoke want to quit, and more than half of them tried to quit, but only 6% of them succeeded. But why is that? I mean, what, why is it? Why is it that, that after you see your family torn apart because of your drug and your alcohol use that you go back to the pipe? Why is it that after you see what smoking has done to your lungs and your skin and your hair and your voice that you still want to light up? Why why is it that after all of your hard work of losing all of that weight, you just gain it back and then some? Or, Or maybe this is a little bit closer to home to you. Why is it after learning that you become overwhelmed by saying yes to everyone, you still can't say no? Or dads, after learning that, that the time that you're spending away from your kids um, is, is actually destroying your relationship, why is it that we're still working more hours than we need to? And as I thought about it, like why all that's happening, it really came down to one word, time. Yeah, yeah, time. Have, have you ever heard that, the phrase uh, that time heals all wounds? Uh, I, I bet you probably have heard that before. Like we all have kind of heard it once or twice. But here's the thing about that saying. It's not really true. I I mean, a wound in our body might heal over time, but it doesn't mean that if you don't go to the doctor that it's going to heal properly or that time in and of itself had anything to do with it. Time also doesn't fully heal emotional or psychological or spiritual wounds. We we all probably have some open hurts, habits, and hang-ups as we talk about and celebrate recovery that, that ultimately are still open even today. No, all that time does is gives us space to forget, right? To forget the pain of detoxing from the drugs, the pain of seeing your family walk out on you, the pain of the medical bills, the pain on your knees as that extra weight is just 
crushing them. The, we forget about the exhaustion of barely holding on as you say yes to everyone else except for yourself. You forget about the disconnect with your kids when you haven't, when you haven't seen them for days. So what time does, time only gives Satan an excuse to plant in our head that makes us forget that what we went through wasn't that big of a deal. And, what we, and we forget, that you know what, we forget about the root issue of everything. And with enough time, we will start to believe that we're the exception to the rule to this whole thing. That, that, we, that what we went through, it really wasn't that bad. And we start to say, you know what, I can handle it now. And in some cases, this is a really good thing. Ladies, think about this. This is why women give birth to more than one child in their lifetime, right? Because if you actually remembered on a daily basis the extent of pain that you went through, there would not be a lot of sequels, right? There would be a lot of sequels. A lot of, a lot of single kid family homes, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you remember that all the time. So, so there are times where it's very important, but in most cases, what time does is it gives us time to fool ourselves into the reality that what happened didn't really happen or, or into the reality that I don't need to do something differently moving forward. And this is why this series is so important. Because right now, we still find ourselves kind of climbing out from underneath that 18-month that wait, wait, wait called COVID. And as people start coming out from, from hiding and adjusting their eyes to the light of, of, of civilization again, it's important that we as Christians are focusing on the right thing. That we don't forget what God has been doing in our lives and also what he showed about our families and us and our priorities. But also we have to remember that what he showed us about himself through this. That as we start to see time create space between then and now, that we don't lose focus on the things of Jesus. We just don't do it. That we don't forget about what's really important. And what's really important, the most important thing in the entire world, is that the world knows who Jesus is and the grace that he offers us. That is the most important thing, which is why this series called Conversations is so important. And I found over the years, though, that regardless of your spiritual maturity, sharing your faith is a stumbling block for a lot of people. It, it seems as awkward as like a dead fish handshake. You ever had one of those before, you know? Or, or, the, or the handshake versus fist bump game of chicken that we all play of. Thank you very much, COVID. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this, ah, what do you do? And you do the gear shift thing sometimes, you know? Like, you ever had that? Like, I tried to go 100% handshake a couple of months ago. I'm like, I'm just doing it. A couple of that's what I'm doing. Could have been the reason I had a 10-day quarantine for a positive COVID test, but who knows? You know, I went for it anyway. I digress, okay? No big deal. But, but here's what I've come to believe. It's what I come to believe. People have a tough time sharing their faith because they overcomplicate it and they psych themselves out. All the time. Most people think that you have to have memorized the Bible, that you need a photographic memory of a Bible commentary somewhere, and that you need to have Kirk Cameron's personal phone number in, on speed dial in order to talk to somebody about Jesus. And if you don't get that last joke, it's okay. It's probably better that way. It's okay, right? But we overthink how much we don't know about the Bible, so what do we do? We don't do anything. We overthink the whole thing. And I'll tell you what, Satan, so proud of himself when that happens, so proud. Because he knows that if he can get us spiritually constipated, we won't move. And, and those people that, that we know we need to talk to about Jesus, they still are far from his grace and his love. 
However, I think we need to reconsider our approach to this whole idea about evangelism. That's the big word that we use. See, instead of looking at it as a program to master, we need to see it as a conversation to enter into. That's what it is. This is why we're calling the series Conversations. That's why. The whole reason that we're doing it, because I think if we can come to understand that telling people about Jesus is as simple as a conversation, we might just take some of the weight off of our shoulders and be a little bit more confident in doing it. Except in order to have this conversation, we just need to know that it's going to require us to overcome some hurdles that our society has placed in front of us. Because in this technologically advanced world that we live in right now, that we think is so great, it has caused us to regress in social communication skills, right? In in a blog post by All Pro Dad, which is a great website, dads, if you're looking for a great website, All Pro Dad, they identified eight communication skills that are lacking in our our next generation. Uh, Things like this, communicating and thinking on the fly, that's gone. Uh, Reading nonverbal cues, focusing on someone, face-to-face interaction, the ability and desire to listen, the ability to build an argument, But the one that stuck out the most to me was his last one. The ability to speak with others. Now, I I realize that this list right here is focused on our next generation, but can I just say that there's probably a lot of us old-timers that struggle with a few of these too. Am I right? Like, we just have a hard time. So, So when we're faced with all of that, with all of these cultural obstacles, we just have to be aware of them, and we need to seek to share Jesus with others despite them. Because if you can learn to just have a conversation with people about Jesus, you might find it easier to do than you think. You really could. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you learn how to do this. And we're going to learn how to talk. We're just going to learn how to, to talk. That's it. We're just going to learn how to talk. And, and let me expand upon this a little bit. Here's what we're going to do. These stand for different things. So T stands for that we want to think about your one. That's what we'll talk about today. A stands for ask questions. L stands stands for lean into your story. And then K stands for keep Jesus involved. This is how we're going to learn to talk. Think about your one. Ask questions. Lean into your story. Keep Jesus involved. And I hope that as we go through this talk process that you and I will feel more confident and equipped to actually have a conversation with someone about Jesus more than you ever have before. That's my hope. And so to to start, we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be at. You can open up your Crossroads Grace app after you update it. Bingo. There we go. Another hit right there. So make sure you're doing that. Chat host, if you're with us right now, make sure you're putting that link in there for Luke chapter 19. Love our Crossroads online community. Can't wait to be with you guys soon again. But as as you do that, I'm going to tell you a story. I um, I remember when Cherie and I were dating back in college way back in the day, okay? And, and, and maybe you're familiar with this scenario too, like if you think about your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and, and Cherie and I, we used to talk on the phone, right? This is a cord, y'all. You may have never seen one of these before, right? Talk on, is a swatch phone too back in the 80s. Can I get a swatch phone? Amen. From anybody, you talk in the bottom and the top. Okay, I'm sorry, okay? We used to talk on the phone like all, like late into the night, And then early into the morning the next day, like we would talk, like guys, we would talk, oh my goodness, you remember this? You'd be on your your, your couch, like leaning back, and you would talk so long, you get a pressure sore on your ear, and you'd talk about everything, and it'd be like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. 
I didn't hang up either. Oh, no, I love you so much. Right, you remember this. We would do it all the time. But the reason that we did that was because why? Because we cared about each other. Like we wanted to know each other about each other. And, and it was fun to do. You know, you, you talk. Because there's power in conversation. Healthy conversation is when there's a balance between listening and sharing where both people leave and walk away from the conversation feeling heard and as if they were part of something life-giving. And the types of conversations that mean the most are with the people that we care about. This is true. I mean, sure, I mean, you could say that you had this really great conversation with the guy that you met at the Warriors game, you know, but 99.9% but .9 of the time, the second the final buzzer blasts to signal the end of the game, it also signals the end of your conversation with them. Their relationship's over, right? No, the type of conversations that, that have the most impact are between people who genuinely care for each other, and they're built on one thing, trust. Trust which is why we need to be prayerfully considerate about who God is bringing into our lives to have a meaningful conversation with them about Jesus. And sometimes they're people that you would least expect. So, so this week, we're going to focus on understanding the importance of our one in our life, our, our one in our life. In fact, when you leave here today, you're going to get a sticker that is a one, and I want you to put it in a water bottle or on your computer or wherever you want to put it, and you'll, you'll know why that's so important here in just a second. Because the one, these are people who God has laid on our hearts to go beyond the whole like, hey, buddy, how you doing conversation, you know, beyond that type of relationship. It's this deeper relationship that desires to show Jesus to them and to maybe share Jesus with them also. That's the idea of the one. That, guys, and listen, that doesn't mean that you're the weirdo, okay? I'm just going to tell you this right again, okay? Don't be weird, okay? Don't be the weird guy that jumps past all the spiritual bases to hit a Jesus home run on the first date, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? Just chill out. It means that you learn to talk with them. And one of the greatest images that we get to see of this idea of talking with one another in Scripture is through the life of a man by the name of Zacchaeus and Jesus, in Luke chapter 19. You've had plenty of time to find it by now. Luke chapter 19, let's look at verse one together. And we read, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, interesting stuff to kind of consider here. Jericho's an interesting town. Jericho was a hopping place. Lots of people would pass in and out of it. It was a trade hub and lots of business was done there. Lots of things were conducted right there in Jericho. But on this particular moment in Jesus' life, he actually was trying to go to Jerusalem, but had to go through Jericho in order to do it. I mean, you see, this would, this would be actually his final pass through Jericho that Jesus would make before he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then he would be murdered just a few days later, if you look through the, through the chronologically. But before he gets to Jerusalem, it says that he had to go through Jericho, and he had a couple of Jericho moments. Luke chapter 18, just one chapter before we're at right now, you'll notice that he heals a blind beggar. Great story, you want to take a look. But the second interaction that he has in Jericho is when Jesus enters into Jericho, and it's actually what we read about next. Continue with me. Verse 2 says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
Now, what I love about this story, this particular part of the story, is that it has a scene within a scene taking place. So scene one is Jesus walking into Jericho, surrounded by people. Because by now, Jesus has already healed people, walked on water, preached to thousands of people, turned water into wine, and all but made enemies with every religious leader in a 100-mile radius. And what all that means is that Jesus is not in the shadows anymore. People know him, and they know about him. So the crowds that were around him were not small. I mean, Jesus was kind of a rock star at this point. But while Jesus, the rock star, is starting to walk through Jericho, another scene is playing out where a second thing is going on. And Luke shares something happening in the background. And and really, unbeknownst to the mob of people that were following Jesus, if we really think about it. Because as Jesus is walking through these streets, as he's walking through the streets, a man by the name of Zacchaeus is climbing a tree. But Zacchaeus isn't just vertically challenged, he is also morally challenged. Because Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, it said. You notice those words, chief tax collector. They were up here, you'd see him. Chief tax collector of, of Jericho. So this means that Zacchaeus worked for Rome. But it wasn't like he was a part-time Uber chariot driver for Rome, though. Like, it wasn't, wasn't his gig. He was a, a Jewish sellout to Rome. As a tax collector, Zacchaeus chose to collect taxes for Rome and could extort his own people by charging more money on top of the Roman tax. So it means that if if you you owed $5 of tax, he could charge you $7.50 and you couldn't say anything about it because he, he was just after the money and you would have to pay the money or Rome would be after you. But check this out. Tax collecting, what Zacchaeus is known for, what tax collecting is entry level stuff. Because, again, it says that Zacchaeus was the the chief tax collector, which means that he was like the kingpin of the whole group. I mean, think about like the first mid-level pyramid marketing scheme in recorded history. This is what we're talking about right now. Except Zacchaeus wasn't selling essential oils, people. Okay, like he was a mob boss for people that would tax people on everything they owned. Guys, Zacchaeus, listen, Zacchaeus was a scum bag. That's what Zacchaeus was. Scumbag. And on top of that, he was a weed and a man. He was short, okay? Talk about Napoleon complex for this guy. You know what I'm talking about? But, but now, stay in the scene with me for a second. Get the full picture. Imagine this. The man that is hated by the entire town of Jericho. The man that extorts money from other people, his own people. The man who the people probably had to bend down to give their hard-earned money to, that guy, Zacchaeus, is now climbing a tree to see Jesus. This is the scene. Everyone would have known him, and now everyone would have seen him. And everyone in that town wanted nothing to do with him, I guarantee. They wish that he would just go away. That's what they want with Zacchaeus. But yet, look what happens next. (laughs) Verse 5, take a look. Verse 5 says this. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, just let that wash over you for just a second. Jesus, rock star Jesus, surrounded by people all around him. All of a sudden, he gets to the spot, he says, and it looks up. He says, he looks up, and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. 
Because Jesus is God, he knows about Zacchaeus. Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, but then Jesus chooses Zacchaeus. And Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector's house. In fact, here, fun little fact for you, a little factoid. Put this in your, in your head for a moment. Do you know this is the only time in all the Gospels where Jesus invites himself over to someone else's house and he chooses the scumbag Zacchaeus to do it? Now listen to me. Here's something I, I often hear people say when it comes to this whole idea of talking to people about Jesus. And maybe you've heard this, and, and honestly, maybe you've said this. It goes something like this. Where do I start? God, like, where do I start? Like, who am I supposed to, to talk to? Like, God, who is it? You ever heard that before, right? And what we do is that we sometimes overcomplicate this whole idea about talking with somebody about Jesus. We start to, like... <laughs> hyperventilate, right? And we start to freak out and psych ourselves out before we ever start. Am I right? Like, we do this. But here's what I love about this moment right here. Here's what I love about this moment. Jesus talks to the person right in front of him. He, he starts with who is right in his path, literally. And, and listen, listen, listen. I know what you're starting to say. You're, probably, you're saying, hey, PB, like, are you, are you saying like, I'm supposed to talk to every person that comes my way? That's the person I need to talk to about Jesus? Maybe. Like, I don't know, right? But, but as we think through the series, it's going to be important to remember that we need to earn the right to be heard and to create a relationship with other people. And it starts by asking God, God, who is my one? Who is my one? Who is it that God has put in your path, in your life, that, it, that he's asking you to talk to him about? Who is he that he's at, that to start a conversation with? And, and guess what? It doesn't even have to start with talking about Jesus first. No. I mean, get to that. But what if you just ask them, hey, you want to go get something to eat? You want to go to the game? Do you want to watch the Giants beat the Dodgers? Like, I mean, you and all these things are possible. And I'm not sure if anybody has a relational cred to be able to come into a random stranger and say, hey, come into your house tonight, bro, get some stuff ready. You know, like, I don't know if you got that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But what if we started somewhere, just somehow, with the one that God has put in front of us, just small? And I, I think we need to understand something also about the story, though. And here's what we need to understand about the story right here. Guys, Zacchaeus knew who he was. He knew who he was. He, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was not treating people fairly and right. And guess what? He also knew that Jesus knew. He knew that. So, so you would think that when Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus would turn him down. He'd be too embarrassed to let this rock star rabbi named Jesus come into his house. And maybe as you start to think about your one you may start to do something similar. You may start to think that they would never want to talk to you. I mean, they're so mean. They're so angry. They're so cantankerous at work. Like, do I really want to welcome that in my life? I mean, they're so set in their ways. They're never going to change. It's family after all. Do I really want to make every Thanksgiving weird every year from this moment on when I try to talk to my aunt? Do I really want to do that? We... Guys, we convince ourselves that the answer will be no or that we should just wait for another time. That, that makes sense, right? 
I mean, it made sense for Zacchaeus to turn Jesus down. It would make complete sense for him to do that. But what do we read next? Verse 6 says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. <laughs> How about that? The, the, the guy that, 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 that should have said no for all the reasons I just talked about and probably a hundred more that I didn't mention, the dude just said yes. In fact, he was eager to do it. Jesus asked and he said yes. I'll be darned. See, see, here is something to keep in mind. Keep in mind when it comes to talking to your one. Are you ready for this thing? I want you to really think about this. Think about this. I want you to never say no for someone else. Never do that. Guys, you never know when someone is dying to say yes. And when we say no for them, you have suffocated that yes from, yes from ever getting air if you say no for them. But, I mean, what do you lose by asking? Pride? Rejection? A bruised ego being made fun of? all possible. In, in fact, look at what happens when Jesus and Zacchaeus start heading over to his house for dinner. So good. T take a look. Verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. You want to know when you are doing something significant for Jesus? Here's how you know. Listen for religious people getting really uncomfortable. Listen for people that think that since they're perfect, that they can then give you their two, their, their two cents of morality to, to what you should do. Listen for people that used to be so jacked up, but they have forgotten what it's like to be lost, then tell you that you shouldn't be talking to those people. Listen for that, because when you hear all of that muttering, it means that you are right where Jesus wants you to be. It's exactly where you need to be, right there. Because, because here's the deal. When you step out and start a conversation with someone in the hopes that it leads to talking to you about Jesus, Satan freaks out. Loses his mind. He loses his mind. Because he knows that when Jesus gets involved, that life will be changed. Because look at what happens to Zach after a little snack with Jesus. Take a look. It says this. It says, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now listen. Listen. I wasn't in that room. We don't, we don't know what took place. I feel like Aaron Burr from Hamilton that wants to be in the, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. We weren't there. But I'm willing to bet that something like this took place. Zacchaeus and Jesus come into his house and they sit down. You know what Jesus does first? Gains his trust. Now ask some questions about his life. Zacchaeus, tell me about you. And after he listens for a little bit, I bet Jesus then tells him a little bit about himself. And then I'm willing to bet that he shares the gospel message about his love for him. Zacchaeus right there. And what happened was miraculous. The scumbag ended up opening up his money bag and paying back all the people he had cheated times four. I mean, even the boys in Vegas are like, those are some good odds right there. You know, pay out four times. But can I tell you something? 
you are never gambling when it comes to Jesus. Never. Because in the end, you never lose. Never lose. Because it's Jesus that saves, not us. Because even if the person tells us that we're crazy to go jump in a lake, you're a freak show, you should mind your own business, and tells us all that stuff, guess what? Your faith has grown stronger in Jesus. But if your one does want to enter into a conversation about Jesus, then not only do we grow, but we get a front row seat to see God work, which is exactly what we see happen with Zacchaeus. Verses 9 through 10 tell us this. It says, Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is one of the most epic scenes in Jesus' ministry. But listen to what Jesus says about his new friend, Zach. He says, Today salvation has come to this house today. Zach met Jesus and his life was changed. But listen, Jesus didn't go to everyone's house in the crowd that day, did he? And he also didn't say, you know what, I can't play favorites here, you know, I, I can't go, if I can't go to everybody's house, I'm not going to anyone's house. No, it says he chose one man's house. He took the time to talk to one man. And when he did that, that one man's life was changed forever. And I think that's important to keep in mind. We have to realize that we cannot have deep conversations with everyone. Can't do it. There just is not enough emotional energy, physical time to maintain that sort of deep connection with everybody that we meet. It's impossible. We have to learn to be selective of who and when we enter into these types of conversations. And if we don't, here's what happens. We run the risk of being shallow or so exhausted that we have nothing left to give. So I just, I just want us to keep this one idea in mind today. If you, for, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this one idea, and it's this, is that you can't connect with everyone, but you can take time for one. You can't connect with everyone, but you could take time for one. Don't, don't give up if it seems so big. So isn't this true that we think when we think about evangelism, I'm going to save the whole world. Hey, start with one. Just relax, okay? Take a deep breath. Start with one. Start with one person at a time. One conversation at a time. One talk at a time. And let Jesus guide you with where you need to go next. Because you never know. That conversation might lead one day to a conversion, but it will all begin by knowing you're one, investing in them like Jesus did with you, just like someone did in the life of my friend, DJ. Take a listen. If you'd have seen me when, when, I, <laughs> when I first started coming here, I'm probably not the guy you would have walked up and talked to. You know, I walked around wearing a white tank top and the camo pants and the fingerless leather gloves because I thought it was so cool. I know there's a quote that comes to mind I really like. Um, it's a Dostoevsky quote. The best way to keep a prisoner from escaping is to never let him know he's in a prison. And I feel like that's kind of where I was. Like, you know, when I think of the way that I thought of people who went to church, 
they always seemed all happy and they always seemed like they were doing it right. I thought the happy people just weren't paying enough attention is what I used to say. If, if they knew more about you, they wouldn't like you so much. That was sort of my, my thinking. I'd come to church and I would, I'd blend in. And then I'd leave church and I'd go have too much to drink or I'd get in a fight or I'd whatever. Why I came here, it was a big enough church. I'm like, hey, I can go to church and I can hear about God and I don't have to talk to anyone there. I remember when I was first asked to help out with the high schoolers, I'm like, dude, like, I'm not that great. <laughs> I, I started thinking, you know, trying to picture myself as some kind of role model. And I'm like, what if, what if I like accidentally teach them how to be depressed or something, you know? I'm like, what, what are they gonna learn from me? It was a surprisingly short amount of time before I was to the point where I would go to Mexico on the missions trip. And you know, life's a little rougher there. Streets aren't paved. Not everybody's got a PlayStation. You know, and just stuff like that. And, and they were happy. And getting more of a personal relationship with them, you see, it's not happy because they're naive, you know? It's not happy because they're not paying attention. You know, me in the, in the past, when I understood things less, you look for meaning. Whether you realize you're looking for meaning or not. You know, maybe you'll find it in your job. Maybe you'll find it in some relationship or something. Taking on that responsibility gave me not just meaning, but like a sustainable meaning. I, I, I think some people, try to kind of hope for a life where they where they don't suffer, you know, and they keep waiting for that point, like, like when's life gonna get easy? And it's like, it doesn't get easy. You need something to push back against the suffering you're inevitably going to experience. And that's, that's why your meaning has to be a deep meaning. You need a deep meaning because life's hard. You know, sometimes it's really hard. It's not just hard for you, it's hard for the people you know. And you need some kind of meaning to push back against your suffering and the suffering you see. Regardless of how you try to live your life, you might find yourself at the bottom or, or, or nearing the bottom. Maybe, maybe you see people nearing the bottom. It's hard when you see people who are way down there and they don't know what meaning to look for down there. When I think of meaning, it's sort of like, why am I suffering? Why do I get up every day and go to work? Why do I have to deal with the things I have to deal with? Why on my worst day do I bother to keep going through this? You know, the more levels something exists on, the deeper it is. If, if you find meaning in, in serving God, just what's popping in my head right now is like the, the story of Job where it's like, God was there when he had everything he had and the dude lost everything. And what's the last thing left is God. You know, it's just him and God. You can't, there's, there's no, deeper meaning than that. And I think that you can look at your suffering and go, that's why I suffer. That's why I should get out of bed today. As someone who's uh, naturally more anxious and more reserved, before I've ever done anything important, before I've gone to church, gone to the high school, gone to Mexico, did this, there's been someone who was like, no, bro, you can do it. At times when I can remember that has sort of helped me to remember that when I don't think the conversations that I'm having make a difference, that, that you don't know that. You just don't know that. You just don't know what that conversation might do and what it might lead to. And so my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that we would have this boldness to be able to pray a gnarly prayer and that prayer would simply be, God, would you show me my one? And would you give me the boldness 
to talk with them. See, I, I think it's always important for us to remember that this idea of one isn't just some kind of catchy Christian thing. It's actually deeply rooted in Scripture. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three different parables about things that are lost, but one of the ones that sticks out the most is he says that the, the shepherd will leave the 99 in, in the open country and go after the one that is lost. And that's what Jesus did for us. He saw us as lost sheep and he went for us. Every single one of us he came for, he died for, and he loves. And that includes the ones that are yet running away from him. And the beautiful part about what Jesus does is he says, hey, I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be a part of this saving mission, that I do the saving, but you are the one that has the conversation, the relationship. You gain the trust. So would you be bold enough to pray for your one? to pray that God would reveal that to you and then have the, the courage to be able to step forward and just start having a relationship with them. Communion is such a perfect time for us to reflect on that, to pray that prayer, to think about our one, and to see what that would look like. And so we're gonna sing a song in a moment, but I just would hope that you would take some moment of reflection for you and God. Whether you're a guy or girl or young or old or in between, there are somebody in your life, one person in your life, that God is calling you to take that next step with. Would you pray for your one? Think about your one as we begin this idea of talking to each other. So as I pray, we're going to pray, and then we'll stand and sing a song. We'll come back. We'll take communion together. But take this time to reflect that Jesus died for you as the one. He also died for them as the one, too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, God, that you would just impress upon us all this deep desire to to pray and to, to seek out this one that you put in our life. You would reveal that to us, that you would show us that the Holy Spirit, that you would move, and that you would, ex, you would expose those, those names, that, that person, a face maybe that we need to talk with. And even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, give us the courage and boldness to do it. And to remember that it's not us that really is doing it. It's you, Holy Spirit. It's you, Jesus, your love and your grace. Father, you give us the strength to move forward. So God, I pray as we sing this song, as we worship you right now, God, that you would do a work in this place, online and in person, God, that you would do a work, that we would hear from you, that you would show us what we need to do next for our one. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.